Whoa, new intro, who dis? Welcome back to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast, where we're telling the amazing, untold, wacky, weird, and inspiring stories of type 1 diabetics from across the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, and I wanted to let you know that we now have over 500 years of living with T1D on the podcast, and we're on track to be over 1,000 by the end of the summer, which is pretty exciting. I also wanted to chat about my new email series, Friday T1D Feels, where I send you a personal note, no fancy graphics or anything like that, about what I've been thinking about in the world of type 1 diabetes during that week. If you're into that, just go to diabeticsdoingthings.com and sign up. I'd also like to take a minute to talk about hashtag coverage to control. JDRF is raising awareness around the fact that most of us don't get to pick the insulin pumps we have, just the ones our insurance will cover. Just imagine if your cell phone was like that. Except this isn't a phone, it's what keeps us alive. So let your voice be heard and tell your insurance company that T1Ds and their doctors should decide what kind of pumps they use, not the companies. I'm looking at you, Aetna. United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Let's get this right. Okay, enough chatter. Let's get back to the episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all over the world. And I'm very, very, very excited to introduce my special guest today, uh, Dana Howe, uh, calling from the Bay Area. Yes. Hello. Thanks for having me, Rob extremely happy to have you and uh for those of you who don't know uh dana is the social media manager um at beyond type one um so some of you guys i'm sure have interacted with her in some way that's probably true i am often the voice behind the beyond type one handle on um instagram facebook twitter so at some point we may have exchanged messages without you even knowing look at that just we're just connecting everybody now um it was kind of interesting how you and I got connected as well uh, through one of my other podcast guests, uh, Sid Sharma, um, who's going to be biking beyond across the U.S. this summer, um, was uh, was nice enough to just connect us uh, after our conversation and, uh, you know, just kind of get this ball rolling. Yeah, no, that's been awesome. Sid is one of our team leaders on Bike Beyond in my one of the other hats I wear aside from social media at Beyond Type 1 is I'm also our lead for the Bike Beyond team for the ride this summer. So I've been super busy, and that group is just so amazing, and we can't wait to kick that off. And what's that like? I mean, just talking to those people from all over the world, uh, I, and I've seen like the Instagram stories uh, where everybody's on Skype, uh, all together talking, uh, just kind of being someone who, because I, you're not riding the race, are you? No, I'm not. I will be with the team for portions of it, but I will you know, most of the time be working in the office still right. in San Francisco, meeting them at several points along the way for celebrations and check-in points. So what, what's it been like just sort of seeing that come from like a concept to selecting the team uh, and now seeing their training and planning these events? Um, obviously like a daunting task, but yeah. just something, you know, like it's got to be inspiring just to see the whole thing sort of transpire. Oh, for sure. It's been absolutely amazing. I am blown away every day by our team. We, I mean, it really speaks to the Beyond Type 1 community on social media, I think, because we had this idea come to us from one of our global ambassador council members, Walt Drennan, who had ridden across the country before with other groups, but he was the only Type 1 on the ride. So he brought us the idea 
and then said, can we do this? I want to make this happen with a team of type one riders. And we said, okay, let's do it. We threw the idea out to our social media networks, looking for applicants, looking for team members. And just from doing that, we have managed to pull together this amazing team. We have riders from five countries and 14 states in the U.S., and just working with them, even remotely, I feel like I know them really well, and I cannot wait for them to come together in person because I think it's going to be really, really powerful. And that's happening relatively soon, right? Um, you know, for our listeners who don't have the exact date on hand, uh, when does uh, Bike Beyond kick off? Yeah, we are going to be in New York City in a month. Our kickoff party is June third in New York. Our ride launch is Sunday, June fourth morning. So stay tuned for more details on that. Or if you're interested in our like cocktail party, fancy kickoff on the night of the third, uh, check out the website. Can I plug it? It's beyondtype1.org/bikebeyond. Oh, please, please plug it. Please plug yeah. all of that. Totally. I hope people will go check it out. We're super, super excited. And we're going through tons of places, not just big cities. Obviously, it's 70 days. So um, go check out the list on that website and see if your hometown's there because we might be riding through. Yeah, I saw um, you know Denver is one of the cities, Cleveland, I think. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. And I think getting a lot of people who have been following the bike beyond story and have been following beyond type one, but either aren't in, uh, in New York city or, or the Bay area or Los Angeles where you guys do a lot of events, mm-hmm. um, and are like, are very excited to get involved. So I know a lot, I've talked to a lot of people who are either like driving or being like a host family. Um, and it's just, just really exciting kind of seeing the whole community come together. Yeah. We're so excited. Great. So let's uh, let's get back to you because this is uh, this is your interview. This isn't <laughs> sure. the Mike Beyond interview. So Dana, uh, walk us through um, your your diagnosis. How did you uh, come to join our T one D family? Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed when I was eight years old. That was in two thousand two. So it's been fifteen years. I come from a family of people with type one. My dad is type one. And my mom's dad is also type 1. So there's no one in my immediate family who has ever really known a life without being connected to someone with type 1 diabetes, which is really cool for a lot of reasons. Um, It meant that I was diagnosed really early, which, you know, now that I've joined the type 1 community, I understand how valuable and important that is for obviously your health and safety, but I think also just the trauma that can be associated with diagnoses when people don't know what to look for and it ends up being like DKA and all those scary things. So I actually, my blood sugar was only like 270 when I was diagnosed. And looking back on that now, I'm like blown away at my parents' ability. Uh, But, you know, little did I know my whole childhood up to that point, they were like waiting to see or like, always paying attention to how often I was peeing, you know, I didn't know they were doing that, but they were. Um, so they were able to catch it really early. And, and in terms of, you know, actual diagnosis, I was admitted to Yale New Haven hospital in Connecticut for one night, um, to do training and stabilize me and start me on insulin. But I really felt, well, I think eight is an interesting age. I was like old enough to sort of understand, but I was definitely like a kid, a little headstrong, like, yeah, this is no big deal. I got this. Um, 
And so kind of just jumped right on board and then have had ups and downs since then, of course. But um, for me, diagnosis kind of felt like joining a club. It wasn't it was something everyone was already familiar with. So now I was just doing what my dad did and needed to take a shot before I ate kind of thing. Well, and, and I think that's, first of all, that perspective is so unique to me because I think you're the only guest uh, who has one, let alone uh, more than than one family member with with type one. So uh, like joining a club, obviously, and like your parents, like having that heightened sense of awareness. Yeah. Um, a, that like it's a huge advantage for your, you know, at your diagnosis and post-diagnosis health um, and kind of the adjustment and the education because there's really like almost no need for it. They're right there. Um, and and like you said, the routine is there. They already do it. So what was that? What was that like for you? And like, did you and having somebody else who's not your doctor and I guess having your parents as your advocates really understanding yeah. what you go through because I think kids and teens a lot of times feel alienated because their parents don't know what they're going through. Yeah. I think that was a huge asset to me. Like you said, I mean, up through when I went away to college. So, you know, through my teen years, through when I was 18, I would drag my dad to all my endocrinology appointments because I felt like he, you know, as a fellow type one and as my dad was such a strong advocate for me. And I haven't always had the best relationships with endocrinologists. I have often felt like they don't understand me and what I do day to day as well as I do or my family does. Well, um, and I want to stop you there because I think yeah. this is an important thing and I, I hate to cut you off, but this is, I think, yeah. I, I don't want to gloss over this because this is, I think, a really big issue for a lot of type ones. So totally. having your dad there uh, as a type one and your father, so like a double advocate, yeah. um, what types of, what, what types of issues were you not um, seeing eye to eye with your endo on and uh, you know, their sort of inability to understand who you were and what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think a lot of it, A, is emotional support of like, feeling this disconnect between the many ways that type one impacted my life and the doctor wanting to talk about it in terms of data and statistics and numbers and make small tweaks that felt disconnected from how I experienced it in my day-to-day life. And it wasn't necessarily that I ever straight up disagreed with what the endo was saying. I just felt like they didn't see it as like a whole person who does this all the time, but more as like a, what can we do with these numbers to make them better? Like, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I've had experiences where, and my attitude has changed over time, but especially as a teenager where I would go and they would say something like, maybe you should tweak your carb ratio or play with your overnight Levemir. And And I would be like, I'm always doing that. And having them say, like, you should maybe take one more unit of insulin overnight, I would just almost feel kind of like this is such a, like, yeah, that's advice, that's helpful, Um, but it's kind of so removed from what I'm doing already every day. Uh, As I am a person who, like, feels pretty comfortable making decisions about my medication, especially like my insulin dosage, um, based on my experience rather than on a medical professional. And I wouldn't, you know, necessarily tell anyone else to do that. 
but I'm like someone who is willing to just try changing my dose, you know, fairly regularly. Of course. Of course. And I think, you know, obviously we want to caveat this with like, we're not, we're not doctors or making medical, giving medical advice of any kind, but I'm the same way. Like I don't need, I don't need to go see someone every six months for them to tell me to change my carb ratio from 15 to 12. Exactly. Um, I'm doing that already. Or if I feel bad, I'm going to give myself the amount of insulin I think I need to feel good. Right. Um, or, you know, or, or treat with a different low blood sugar treatment. I, you know, it's, it's, it's such a difficult thing because you have to look at everything with, with a soft lens, like a soft focus. Um, and I've been really dealing with this a lot in the last few years is like to refine those edges a little bit and just understand mm-hmm. that like every day is so different. Every situation, you know, I got, I, I talked to somebody else about this, but I got wrecked by a chicken sandwich like two months ago <laughs> that like I had no explanation for. Yeah. It, it just seemed like maybe they just pumped a bunch of sugar syrup in the ketchup or something. I don't know. Like it, it was like one of the worst afternoons I'd had from a high blood sugar in years and on paper I did everything right and so it would be easy to get mad it would be easy to uh, get upset and maybe if I had told a doctor about that they would have been like well just never eat a chicken sandwich again and and so it's just like yeah but maybe one day I will go get another chicken sandwich right Uh, and probably give a similar amount of insulin but obviously like be wary I don't don't know it's just one of those things where it's almost the imperfect science well, I've I've had people, I remember really early on, um, we didn't do a lot of going to support groups because, you know, as I said, my family kind of was our own support group in a lot of ways. But right after I was diagnosed, I remember my parents taking me to a support group for kids with type 1 and their parents um, locally. And I, one thing that totally stuck with me was another parent saying, look, it's an art, not a science. And you have to treat it as such. And I know some people will disagree with that perspective um, because, you know, now in my work with Beyond Type 1, I see people from across the board and how their management styles work. There are people who love data, who are really digging into their data um, and feel that they, that that gives them the power to really refine and use those sort of, like you said, sharp edges. And I'm, I'm a little like that, but I'm definitely more of a, it's an art, not a science person because I personally just feel like there are so many variables at play that I'm never going to be able to control them all. So I've got to roll with it. Right. And I think we're all different, right? We ha- and, and every day is different. And I, and I agree, it is more art than science. That's more my approach as well. Mm-hmm. That being said, like, I, I know what I do that works. And I, and I have like this criteria of like, okay, this is, this is stuff that makes me feel good. Uh, especially in terms of food, food that makes me feel good, food that makes me not feel good or bad, just like yeah. average, and then food that makes me feel bad, whether totally. that's being tired or, you know, just giving me a, a headache or a stomach ache or whatever it is. And some of it's related to diabetes and some of it's not. But yeah, um, just knowing like this is me, it probably doesn't work for everyone, but, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember talking to doctors specifically um, because there's a lot of preventative medication you can take orally for, you know, to minimize damage to your organs long-term and things like that. Um, and I remember them having like these side effects like depression and, um, and like knee, like one in particular had like joint pain and I was an athlete. So I was like, well, I want to minimize as much joint pain as possible. I have enough of it. And I remember having those conversations with my doctor and them just being like, well, we don't understand. And it's like, well, right. 
<laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's it's so interesting to see how everyone everyone's treatment is so different. Right. And I think what's really cool is that you get to become an expert at your own body in a way that a lot of people don't. Like I hear it in you talking about yourself and your choices. And like, I really think that a lot of us know more about what works for us and what doesn't than our doctors do. That doesn't mean they're not a great resource and a really important tool and person to have in your life uh, to lend their perspective. But something cool about type one and especially I feel this way about my Dexcom and CGM is that I have this like really interesting picture into exactly how what I eat and how I exercise and every other thing I do impacts my health. And I feel a lot more tuned into that than many other people. And I think that kind of goes back to your point about data. You know, I think it's amazing how type ones are data scientists. You know, yeah. we take real data and we turn it into action without having to sit there and think about it all day. It's like, oh, well, I'm a little bit high. I'm going to correct with this because I know it's my ratio and this is what I've done today. And luckily for us, we have a lot of technology today compared to, you know, when we were diagnosed you mm-hmm. know, 12, 15 years ago where, you know, we had to guess on some of those things or they were a little bit more pain. You know, you had to prick your finger more often or whatever the case is. But we're all doing the same things. We're thinking the same way. Like, how do I get my blood sugar in the range where I feel good? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really cool like, that we have, like, all that data. And as long as we use it for good and, like, keep that soft focus and say, like, it's not all about the number. Um, and you're going to have your days where a chicken sandwich just knocks you flat on your feet, off your feet. Like, um, right. and you're going to have days where, you know, you feel like you're honeymooning again and you're, you're just, you can do whatever you want. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I want to ask you, you, you mentioned something earlier about, um, because you had your parents involved and, uh, and, in your type one and, and, and their type one as well, that you guys didn't get super involved in like the community and like support groups. Um, mm-hmm. why do you think that was? I think that we felt very like we had things under control and I think we did. I mean, in a lot of ways, um, having and I think it also goes back to like this is before the internet was really connecting people um local support groups were available and you know it was great that my parents encouraged me to go check it out near when I was diagnosed but having a really understanding family that I was spending a lot of time with did meet that need for me I also think that there were a lot of problems that and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but if I'm being honest, there were a lot of problems that people who are new to type one experience that we weren't experiencing because it was, there wasn't a lot of that sort of like shock and adjustment period. So I think we were sort of like, we got this. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think I want to, I want to talk about that as, a little bit as well, because I'll use an example from my, from my personal life. So, uh, I'm in, I teach improv comedy um, mm-hmm. and perform at Dallas Comedy That's House. Cool. And like, it's yeah. super fun. Uh, early on in my, like when I was trying to take workshops after I'd like finished classes, I went to a couple workshops that were like tune-ups or like fix-ups. So like, hey, come in here if you want to like, you know, get back on track or whatever the case may be. And I was like, you know, I want to take as many workshops as possible. I was super into it. And about the second workshop, I was like, hey, I, I'm not, I don't need to fix anything. Like I'm not, I'm not in my head the way these people are. And I think that was many of the workshops were like, get out of your own head. 
And I was like, oh, like, I don't need this. Like, this is not for me. And I think sometimes I think we have to be careful. And, I, and like, like you said, I don't want to come off the wrong way. But there are a lot of communities and a lot of type ones who are struggling with things that are unique to their own journey and can dominate that conversation. And honestly, I, I, I will say, I'm just going to say it out loud. Like, there's a lot of them that are just the worst. Like, they're the worst community. Like, it's just very... I, I don't know. It's very me, me, me. And it doesn't, it doesn't really, it, they're not very modern. I feel like in the approach and I just, I don't know for, to me as somebody who is a like millennial techie person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't really appeal to me. I, I felt like they didn't know what I was going through. And I felt, uh, and especially early on because I was a teenager and I knew everything. Right. Um, of course. Yeah. You know, I, I felt alienated by that. Now I think, especially with beyond type one, um, who I think is the prime example of that. I'm not just blowing smoke because you you work for Beyond Type One. I really believe this. <laughs> like, they understand what it's like not only to be diagnosed with Type One at a young age, but also living with it as an adult. Which I think that most of the other Type One organizations leave completely un, like just unaddressed because like we're fine now. They don't need, we don't need them anymore. You know, as their I think their original approach. But there's yeah. all these amazing people out there who are who just needed a place to connect. Right. Well, I can say I have a really interesting perspective now as someone who's the social media manager and sort of moderator of a community and a type one. And I actually really almost think about those things separately. Like my experience with type one personally definitely makes me good at my job because I understand what where people are coming from. But I've just had to take a step back and understand that like, while we have a lot in common as a you know people who are impacted by type 1 diabetes there are so many different experiences under that umbrella and just being understanding of that and being open minded about it and helping people find and encouraging people to find the community that's right for them and the space that's right for them is is part of like what i really like about my job and also I think part of why the internet has been so awesome. So I have found that since, you know, I started kind of looking for community when I was in college and after college, because I was no longer living with my family. I am now a young adult with type one diabetes and I'm looking to connect with people like me because I've always had a sense of type one community in my life and now I'm living on my own and I want that again. And I think that social media and the internet, like no matter who you are, there's some group or people out there who want you to be part of their team. And I think that's super cool. And I think the more people I talk to, and I've been trying to say this as much as I can when I meet with people in person is they say, I felt so alone like I felt like I was the only person with type one because they, you know, didn't have any friends with it. There was no one at their school or no one in their, you know, community that understood what they were going through. And so they're turning to the internet. And a lot of times like you search hashtag diabetes, like you're going to pop up beyond type one is probably going to be first. JDR, <laughs> JDRF does a nice job. ADA is, is okay, I think. But, and there, there are obviously like some other communities and a lot of really great like individual people who have their yeah. own uh, platforms and are sharing that journey. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that like humanizes it. And you're like, all of a sudden you're not alone. And somebody who can, when we're all on our phones all day anyway, might as well, um, you know, add a little enrichment to your life. And I think that's what's rare about the T1D community is it it's, there's so much negative vibe. I'll say negative vibes out there on social media. There's so much curated yeah. lifestyle 
And I'm guilty of looking at that myself and seeing like, well, why isn't my life this way? But the type one community is very open, honest, and, you know, even if, and like also gross, cause we're just like needles and, and blood sticks. Yeah, so it's awesome. like, it's, it's very, it. it's very real, right? Yeah. I love that about it for sure. And I think I get a lot of flack and I don't know about you, but as someone who's sort of in like the social media and marketing world, I get a lot of flack from my friends who aren't of being like, oh, you're a social media manager. Like that's such a sort of millennial BS job, but they don't understand the like type one diabetes, chronic illness space. Like this is so much more than that. And it's so much more than like writing tweets. It's about connecting people who are feeling alone and dealing with a chronic illness in a way that has never been possible before. And it's hard to explain to people who aren't part of it, but it's super awesome and powerful. So, and uh, you know, I, I have to agree like a thousand percent. Like, I don't know. And I think a few years ago when I was getting started in my career as well, because um, you're a little bit younger than I am, but yeah. um, was getting into the social media manager space. My first job was like a marketing manager. Um, and that was still the narrative, right? Uh, oh, you mm -hmm. work in social media because you tweet all the time and you love yeah, Facebook yeah. and are you just on Facebook all day and blah, blah, blah. And so now I think it's evolved so much more than that where, you know, almost all of consumers time are being spent on social and that's still a huge part of my job. And, yeah. um, and now like these communities have popped up where people are actually like impacted by this stuff. And when I started the podcast, I had the goal of like, you know what, if one person has a positive reaction or is influenced somehow by this, then it's successful. And the other day I did an interview with a guy from Australia who listened to the podcast on his drive back from his like relatives or in-laws house, like mm -hmm. a, a grown man. He was like, you know what? I was having a terrible day with type one. I had all this food. He's like, and I listened to the podcast and the, and the guest on it was telling me something that I felt like I was going through and it helped me so much. And I, you know what, like that moment right there, I was like, wow, this, all this social media, you know, stuff that people will complain about or, um, or, or put down or say is bad. Like, look at all the good that it can do. And it's so simple for somebody con to connect to. And that right. And I was like, wow, I, I have to keep doing this. This is, yeah. you know, any, any time where I'm up late at night, like editing or doing social graphics or whatever, which is like totally not my strong suit. Um, I just think of those moments and I'm like, and I'm sure for you at beyond type one and, and everyone there, those, those peak moments where you get to have an interaction with somebody and they just say, thank you. They're just grateful. And they tell you their story. I, I can't put a price on that. Yeah, it's awesome. And I am super lucky to get to experience a lot of that in my job. So I, I talked to you a little bit earlier because uh, I'm going to try to ask some some deeper questions, I guess, because yeah. I, I, I'm pushing myself. I'm trying to get better at this. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think I may know the answer to this already. But when you think of someone that you look up to um, as a type one, somebody that gives you kind of hope and keeps you going, who do you think of? Well, I think the obvious answer is my dad. Um, the other answer is my mom's dad, who's my grandpa. He is in his mid-80s. He's been type 1 for over 50 years. He's doing great, and I love having him as a role model in my life. When I see him, we talk about how things are going and what's new with diabetes and without, but he's amazing. Um, and I think, honestly, I cannot overstate the power of having someone like that in my life because when your immediate examples of people with type 1 
are people, my dad is in his 60s and my grandpa's in his 80s, are people who are healthy without complications, have lived with type 1 for over 50 years. I just never stopped to think about being afraid of the long-term implications of it. Like in my life in general, that has not really been a part of my type 1 experience. Um, Whether or not that's (laughs) based in fact or based in anecdotal evidence from my immediate family, I'm not really concerned about um, because I think that being able to live relatively without that fear has been a huge asset to me. I mean, I, I've that right there. You you said it. I mean, uh, that puts down every stereotype. You get to live that reality. How how awesome is that? Like, um, I, I was listening to another podcast, and a guest got asked a question, like, you know, what you what would you tell your twenty year old self? And he's like, call your mom, call your dad, like, call your family, and you know, what a benefit to be able to not only connect on a family level, but also on that, hey, you know what, 60 years from now, like you could still be you could still be doing this, like picture yourself in my shoes in 60 years. And that gives you hope, right? That's the, yeah. all, all that negativity that could be out there where it's like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen with somebody living with insulin treatment in 60 years. And it's like, well, I do. Uh, you know, I have at least an idea. Yeah, I have an example, right? Like that, I have a person who is in my life who I can point to. Um, and again, I just, I don't really know if it matters on an emotional level, what the statistics are when you have those things in your life. No, it really, it really doesn't. It's like you get to, you can say like, I personally believe like, it's again, like going back to the doctor, like it, it's not as much about the data as it's like, Hey, I know this is possible. Yeah. And I think being, you know, being around that can have such a huge impact and you don't even maybe you don't even realize it at first and now um you mentioned this earlier uh you're from the east coast you moved out to the bay area you live mm-hmm. uh you, you know you're separated now from your family life what's that uh what's that been like uh, obviously like it's is there's a void there i'm sure but um as as you're looking to connect more and and you have the opportunity to in your your work life obviously but what what have been the struggles for you now that you don't have that proximity Yeah, it's interesting. Well, as it relates to type 1, my type 1 community has exploded since I've moved to the Bay Area, obviously. Like, on one hand, my family is further away, but I do get to talk to them and see them pretty regularly. Like, it's it's tough, but I think not any more difficult than it is for any person who's in their 20s who decides they want to make a change and move to a new city and try it out. And I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity to do that because it's an important step for me in my life. But from a type one perspective, I think it's been a cool growth thing because I've gone from having a really small like nuclear type one community and family to having this massive community um, of people with type one through my work with Beyond Type One, but also have become a coach with Riding on Insulin. Are you familiar with them? They're amazing. Um, Ski and snowboard camps for kids with type 1. I've coached with them for the first year this year, volunteered with them in the past. But there are a group of like 20 elite coaches who are all people who are really into skiing and snowboarding and have type 1. And they've become some of my close friends this year. So on one hand, further away from familial support, but like so surrounded by type 1 support, and I'm just like so excited by how many friends I have now that I didn't have before who are people I can like text or call or 
meet up with when I'm having a bad day with diabetes. It's pretty incredible. I, I in some ways, feel very similar, I'm sure, on a smaller scale, just because it's a smaller percentage of my life, I think. But, yeah, you know, I started on Instagram, and so I have my you know Instagram account where I interact with diabetics all the time. But now it's like starting to extend over to like Facebook. So I connect with not only, you know, my Instagram account, which is basically a brand account at this point, but it's like uh, now I really know some people. It's like, whoa, this is cool. Like I I get to connect with people who I actually kind of feel like I'm connected to, like like really connected to, like I actually know them. It's awesome. And and what does that mean for you? Like uh, to, to, I mean, I guess really start your career with something that's so close and so tangible for you as you know, that, and that you get to get this extra, I mean, added value. I, I really can't imagine it's, it's probably similar to somebody who is addicted to sports, getting to work for like Nike or Adidas, right? You get to be there on the front lines and connect with those people. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really amazing and it's really powerful. And I try to imagine myself working in social media or in marketing or in communications for a cause that I care about, but one that's not like a personal thing. And it's hard to imagine for me at this point. Um, and because it's so like deeply part of my day every day and it really keeps me like energized to be doing the work that I'm doing. Um, that said, it's not without challenges because I think that like self care and space become really important. Um, it's been a pretty steep learning curve for me for like how I think about myself and my type one versus reading about type one many hours of the day from many different perspectives. Um, I've had to sort of figure out how to compartmentalize that and not let, you know, everything I read also have this whole thought process about how does this reflect on me and my management and my life and my background. Um, but rather kind of take a, take a step back or, um, have some perspective about this as like a big picture community, many different perspectives, and then myself almost like fitting in somewhere. But I need to figure out how to separate um, work and like my personal health. And it's it's happening. It's but it's not without a challenge. Like I think anybody, if you are type one working in type one, if you are a, you know, LGBTQ person who's working in activism in that space, like, if you, you get what I'm saying, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's challenging, and something that I had a, you know, at first was hard, Um, I think that I've gotten to a pretty good place, but it's something I continue to work on and do little things throughout my day where I just need to, like, take a step back not think about work for a little bit because some days it's the end of the day and I'm like, wow, I have been thinking about type one diabetes for hours and now I have to go deal with mine and that's tough. Right. So almost like a burnout. And I mean, I think it's, it's work life balance, but it's also work life, diabetes life balance. Exactly. It's like diabetes work balance in work life balance. And so I think that I have to be very careful Um, to make sure that I'm being mindful of like myself and my needs in that space. And I think that's something that maybe the other side of the 
diabetes community online and there's so much content there's so much great stuff happening um but for a type one especially someone recently diagnosed or a type one's parent um who is just looking for information and can sometimes you know the internet is an amazing resource and is literally my probably my favorite resource i guess my favorite is i say natural resource but it's like you know (laughs) yes it's something that you know without i my life would be dramatically different and it can be a trap though you can fall into a you know a wormhole and you get dug down into something and you're like oh my gosh this is very overwhelming um what would you say to somebody who either was recently diagnosed or has a child who's recently diagnosed and feels overwhelmed by the amount of content, the amount of advice, the amount of options that they have uh, online? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I'm not sure I have a quick answer to it. I often think about, and I think about this from type one perspective and just personhood perspective, about the age that I am where in my childhood and young adolescence, that wasn't so much a problem. And I was able to like figure out what worked for me before the internet exploded in a million directions. Um, like I think about how I feel like it was a really good thing that Instagram and Snapchat didn't exist or weren't popular when I was in high school because that would have been really hard for my mental health and social well-being. And I think it's kind of the same thing. Like now we have a lot of hard questions to ask ourselves because the internet is both amazing and terrible. Um, That said, what would I tell someone who's newly diagnosed? I would A, say beyond type one is the best and we have a first 30 days section that makes it pretty easy. But B, I would say just make sure you're taking time offline for yourself and figuring out what works for you. I mean, I would say that to anyone in any circumstance, even as a person who's a huge fan and user of the internet and technology in general, I'm also a big advocate of like some, some dead time, totally unplugged. What do you do for your dead time? What do you do when you're like, I need to get some space. I know you mentioned that you're, uh, you know, writing for type one instructor. So is he, do you Mm -hmm. you hit the slopes? Do you hit the mountain? What do you do? Yeah, no, that's a big one for me. Skiing has always been a really big part of my life. I uh, grew up skiing in New England. I was on my college ski racing team and now like try to ski most weekends in the winter. Um, It's been an amazing season in California. So plug for that. It was a great welcome to the state. Um, But just generally for me and, you know, not for everybody, but outdoor activities for me, where I'm sort of forced, like there's no use for being connected and there may not even be an internet connection on my phone or elsewhere is like just such a good time to like be in the moment, be with friends, be outdoors. Um, So skiing, camping, hiking, recently have gotten kind of into cycling and that's been fun for the Bike Beyond team as well. But yeah, those sort of physical outdoor activities that are just like, you use a completely different part of your brain and I really like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's so important. And especially for somebody I think who works in social media marketing or internet marketing or just spends a lot of time online anyway, looking at a screen, like uh, I mentioned improv earlier, like that's, it's one of my favorite things because for three hours a week I have to teach a class and I can't look at my phone. Uh, I can't, and I need that. It's just that that's, yeah. that, that extra space is so important. 
um, and kind of setting that intention to be disconnected. Yeah, sometimes I realize that even if I go away for a whole weekend, like travel for a weekend and go, I went bike camping the other weekend. It was super awesome. We biked to a campground, you know, 30 miles each day. And on one hand, I was like intimidated, right? Because I was like, I'm going to be so exhausted when I get back on Sunday night. And then I'm going to have to go wake up early and start work immediately. There's going to be so much work that piled up. But I often find that when I take the time to do those things, even if they're physically exhausting, I am so much more mentally and emotionally energized when I do go back to my work that it's beyond worth it. Like, it's so much better. And kind of in that same spirit, like when you when you go and you're going to start your day and you know right now you said you, you're in a really busy season, um, there's a lot of really exciting things happening on your career front. What do you say to yourself? What intention do you set for your day? Like, um, and, and how does that align with your type one? Yeah, that's a super interesting question. I'm a total morning person, first of all. So full disclosure, not everyone will think that this sounds fun, but I get most of my work for the day in terms of just like checking things off my to-do list that are hard items done between like 6 a.m. and 8.30 in the morning. Um, I am definitely my most clear-headed and most productive. And so for me, it feels really good to just wake up and dig right in um, to work. And then after I have checked a few things off, I can take a step back and be like, I feel great. Like, I feel like I got some stuff done. And now I can eat some breakfast, think about how the rest of this day is going to go, and sort of do all of those other things. And it really frees up my time during the day for whatever pops up and to be available because, you know, at Beyond Type 1 and in my work with both Bike Beyond and social media, it's really, really good for me to be able to be flexible and sort of agile with what I'm working on in the moment. So that's sort of my solution for how I've structured my day. Um, I also find that from a really nitty gritty Type 1 perspective, my blood sugar is pretty dialed in right when I wake up and I just am like clear headed, haven't eaten anything, have a cup of coffee and my blood sugars are usually pretty stable. And then I mess with it after like two hours of doing work. It's, it's funny. Like you mentioned, like all these great things that make you successful in your regular career also carry over to type one. I'm, I'm not a morning person, but yeah. by like, by nature, I even when I was a little kid before even type one, I just love to sleep. Like it's like it's a it's a it's a vacation for me. But this year, I've really tried. And I think I've known for years. Like the most successful people wake up early in the morning. The people who are happiest with their work life balance wake up early in the morning when nobody else is up and no one's bothering them, and they can take time to do exactly what they want to do. And so this year, I've been um, very fortunate that one of my friends. Um, has wake, wakes up with me Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we go work out at like five in the morning. So at 6 a.m., I'm not only awake, but I'm like, I've already done my workout for the day. So I'm like, oh, really awake. Uh, yeah. And so even from then on, like by the time I go into like my office, even if I want to go in early, I've got enough time to do whatever I want. And I would encourage, like, yeah, we're here we go, like, you know, giving like life advice at this point. But <laughs> like, I, I can't stress how important that is. 
uh, and to start, you know, Drake would say, like, I start my day slow. Uh, silk pajamas when I wake, though. Um, so, like, <laughs> yeah. that that to me, like, it is it is important to start your day slow. Because I used to wake up with, like, just the amount of time I needed to shower, get ready, eat breakfast, run out the door. And I used to have kind of a crazy commute. And I and that would, on some days, like, I wouldn't look at my reservoir and my pump. And I would be, I would hit, a, like, a low reservoir uh, notification, like, right at the beginning of the day. And I'm like, what? I'm not even ready for today. Like I'm, you know, I'm, and now I got to figure out a way to get home halfway through the day. And it's just, it's, I think it's so much more productive and and helpful and you can balance yourself out if you give yourself a chance to, and a morning's a great way to do that. Yeah. It can be a challenge, but I guess basically what I'm saying is you morning people, you stubborn morning people converted me. I know, but I'm no fun after 9 PM which is tough being 23. Gosh, I, I, I totally agree. Like I, and even now, like I wish it, I wish I could tell you it's going to get easier, but I heard <laughs> this amazing quote. Uh, I was in this improv workshop with Mike Berbiglia and I it, love him. Oh, he's first of all, he's amazing. Um, and even like the 15 minutes that he spent with us after the workshop, just doing a Q and a was just so insightful. And uh, you know, he jokes about how nobody, like most people don't know who he is. And they're like, oh, it's like, oh, you're so niche. And I hadn't really honestly had no idea how much I was going to like him. Yeah. But um, in the workshop, um, it wasn't Mike that said this, but it was the the teacher. His name is Gavin. And he was like, give yourself permission to be boring and see how what that changes in your life. And I was like, holy crap. Like this guy just is like, and this was even in like performing, he was saying this, but like what a what a note for for like life. Like you know what? Yeah. As long as you're being purposeful and doing what you want, like be as boring as you want to be. I love that. It's so good. And yeah. It's freeing. It's awesome. It is, and I mean, you know, as long you're able to free yourself up and be purposeful with like, oh, I can do anything I want here in the morning, and then you know what? If it's nine p.m. and I need to go to bed, like. Oh, well, nothing. Yeah. Mom always said nothing good happens after midnight. So. Right. Well, I honestly think that's kind of an important note for people with type one who are like, you know, burning the candle at both ends, because like sometimes it's hard to admit. And and for me as well, that having type one and dealing with it all the time is taking up energy from your day. And you want to like, it's hard for me sometimes when I have friends who are just put powering through working long hours, drinking at night, going out, all kinds of social stuff and all kinds of work, volunteer, otherwise, there's a pressure to keep up. And I think that for people who are dealing with something like type one, it's like very important to just remind yourself that like, it's okay to be boring because you have this thing that you're doing and it takes a ton of energy and you need to take care of that. 100%. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, so um, you've been awesome about responding to like the tougher questions that I know. I prefaced our conversation with like I'm trying to get better at asking these. Um, what are you most looking forward to as a Type One? And I know you have a lot of extra insight because you're involved with Beyond Type One and get to see a lot of things. But um, you know, as somebody who has seen their whole family, uh, immediate family, like be um, affected by type one, what are you hopeful for? Um, 
Great question. I think that I am a person who is not holding out a lot of hope for a cure for type 1 diabetes in my lifetime, personally. I'm exceptionally excited about the prospect of it for the world, and I'm incredibly hopeful that it does indeed eventually happen. But on a personal level, it's not something that I spend time thinking about or like ever really picture being a part of my life. I think about the fact that I will have type one for the duration of my lifespan and I'm okay with that. Um, so that said, one thing in the immediate future I'm excited about, I'm currently jumping through all kinds of hoops to try to get a pump. I'm not on an insulin pump. Fun fact, I had I'm on multiple daily injections on pens. I had a pump for a year when I was in high school didn't really do anything for me, had a couple malfunctions, um, dropped it, went back to what I was doing. But I think part of my work with Beyond Type 1 and having lots of people with Type 1 in my life, I've had enough positive examples of people who love their pumps that I've now given into peer pressure and I'm open to trying it again. So hopefully in my pretty immediate future that will iron itself out and I will be trying an insulin pump. So that's cool and exciting. Um, but, and, and I will say I'm getting on board at a time because I think that the closed loop systems are coming. Um, they obviously, there are some that are on the market, but I think um, there will be more and they will be better. And that's something that I'm excited about and want to be involved with. I'm kind of a late adapter of technology. There's, you know, all all different kinds of people and their takes on when their right time for them is to get into the diabetes tech. I love my Dexcom, but I love it because it adds value without adding risk. Um, and I'm relatively set in my ways and kind of a late to the technology table person. So I'm kind of sitting back here and waiting for the rest of you to try things and then tell me what's actually worth it. I love that approach. Um, I have an older insulin pump, and I don't have a, a CGM at this moment. I tried to have one a few years ago, and it just wasn't suitable for my active lifestyle. But like, yeah. I think it's great. Like, I, I, I love that there's technology out there that people are trying and are having great success with. Um, but I'm also a proponent of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, yeah. you know, I'm... I, I'm sure as you are, I'm very happy with my A1C right now. I'm happy with my balance that I have. Um, I do want to find a CGM that works for me here as soon as I get some of this, uh, my startup insurance uh, issues kind of worked out. But yeah. again, like like you said, I'm, 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 I'm a big advocate for like, you know, making sure whatever works for you works. And um you know, I, I think it's important to know yourself as well. Like, well, obviously know yourself, but um, knowing how risk averse you are and how like what you're looking for in a diabetes technology or a treatment method. Um, and I also echo, uh, you know, again, you and I are very similar. And I think a lot of our outlook, like I'm not I'm not really hoping for a cure every day. I think it's something that I obviously wish would happen nothing would make me happier than being a former diabetic and a type 1 right, diabetic and having right. having a bunch of friends who were former diabetic type 1 diabetics <laughs> um but again i think it's like it's not something that my life hinges on i am able to live 
and treat my type one very comfortably. And I think when I meet people, especially parents of newly diagnosed kids who are like all in for a cure, I think you're setting yourself up for something that, you know, you don't have any control over. Um, Yeah. I think those of us, I mean, I think especially you talk to people who have been around this space for a lot longer the carrot has been dangled with all the cure talk for so long. People who have been here for a while are like, yeah, okay, call me when it's for real. But so it's hard with that perspective to hear people, especially newer diagnosed and especially parents who are really holding out that sort of everyday hope. Um, because I want that to happen for all of us so badly, but I'm a little more jaded for sure. And I think that's okay. Like, and I, and I, I'm an optimistic and hopeful person by nature. So, um, you know, I really do believe that someday it it will happen, but at the same time, like I'm not going to focus on things that I can't control. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important as well. Um, this has been like most of my interviews, I think I go about 40 minutes. Um, (laughs) but this has been a really fun one. And I think like time has flown by and I'm looking at this and like, we've almost been talking for an hour. Yeah. Super fun. Um, so I want to finish with one last, uh, question that I always ask. So if you're running into running into a, someone who has recently been diagnosed and, um, or has been struggling and is, you know, not as hopeful maybe, or maybe not as involved or maybe not as exposed to some of the great things like beyond type one or the online community, what is the one thing that you're going to tell them? Like, as you are, you know, meeting them in passing, like, and don't have like uh, an entire, you know, day or, or an hour to sit down with them. What's the one thing you're going to tell them? I want to have a wonderful answer to this question. Um, and I actually have someone in my life kind of like this. And it's something that I literally deal with this experience. Um, I think that I would tell them to reach out and talk to other people with type one Um, or encourage them to do so. And I know everybody is at a different stage with their readiness to connect. But even if you're not looking to go all in on a community, nothing beats connecting one-on-one with another person who can understand, like really understand where you're at. And so I think in that situation, I would just say like, hey, call me, let's get a drink let's talk about this and ask for that time or offer my time. Cause I really think it's invaluable to have those people in your life. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so, it's so simple and to put yourself out there and ask, but you know, a lot of people, and this is not exclusive to type ones just don't, aren't comfortable with it. Like, and I think, your whole world opens up when you ask somebody for help and you really mean it um, because so many people are so willing to help. Yeah, no, for sure. I Dana, hear ya. Dana, it has been an awesome conversation. I'm really glad that we, uh, that we made this happen. Yeah, me too. This has been really, really fun. I really appreciate this. Um, and I know you're a podcast junkie, um, and I totally appreciate that because I'm the same way, and I'm sort of a converted podcast junkie. I wasn't. So, always what's your that. what's your favorite? What what podcast should I be listening to that I'm not already listening to? Oh man, I I'm sure you already like I love the Tim Ferriss show um, because I'm a startup guru, performance hacky hacker nut. Um, so okay. I'm very type A with that. Um, 
some people, some friends have tried to get me into S Town. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's I'm, good. It's okay. good. Do you listen to Reply All? I don't. Is that something that I need to to jump on? You need to be listening to Reply All. I think you would really like it. Okay. Well, then that's that. I have not listened to the Tim Ferriss show, so I will listen to the Tim Ferriss show, and you will go listen to Reply All. Okay. Well, I will definitely send you my favorite uh, my favorite episode of the Tim Ferriss show. Um, I have to think exactly which one it is. Probably Naval Ravikant. He's uh, a very cool like investor dude with a very neat perspective, but. Um, there's also uh, like so many good ones, so um, and some fun ones. And Mike Birbiglia, he has an episode on there as well, which is super funny and light and very like yeah. cool and very uh, very uh, Mike Birbiglia. So um, cool. Great. Well, I will definitely listen to Reply All. To you uh, you've got me there. Perfect. Um, for our guests who want to connect with you, um, where do they go? Where do, where can they find you besides Beyond Type One and Beyond Type One Daily? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Dana Howe, D-A-N-A-H-O-W-E, or I'm on Twitter also at Danny Howie, which is D-A-N-E-Y-H-O-W-I-E. Um, both good places to find me. My Twitter is a little bit more um, type 1 diabetes and advocacy from a personal level. My Instagram is just pretty pictures, but I would love for them to reach out and say hi. Or if they need someone to talk to about type one, I'm a good person for that too. Well, I will definitely include that in the show notes. And, um, you know, I think we'd all be a little bit better off if our Instagrams were just pretty pictures. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's important to me, honestly, as a social media manager, keeping my personal Instagram as like strictly pretty pictures that I take has been really important. It's it's great and refreshing and, uh, and I'm uh, I fully support it. So, um, cool. thank you for coming on the show and, um, I will, um, be, look forward to, uh, seeing all the great work that you continue to do with beyond type one. Thanks Rob. It's been super fun. Have a fabulous weekend. Thanks for listening to diabetics doing things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind the scenes content. And if you or someone, you know, has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.